You're listening to the Skylight Books Podcast. We're an independent, general interest bookstore putting great reads in the hands of people in the Los Feliz neighborhood of Los Angeles. Hosted by resident Skylighters, we're here to bring you new and exciting author conversations, group reads, and bookseller chats. Happy listening. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us on the Skylight Crowdcast channel for what is going to be such a special and fun event celebrating Imogen Binney's Nevada, and she'll be in conversation with Michelle T. and Brontes Purnell. Imogen Binney is the author of the novel Nevada, which won the Betty Burson Emerging Writer Award and was a finalist for the 2014 Lambda Literary Award for Transgender Fiction. A writer for several television shows and a former columnist for Maximum Rock and Roll, she lives in Vermont with her family. Michelle T is the author of a bunch of books, including the cult classic Valencia, the Pen America Award winner Against Memoir, and the apocalyptic autofiction Black Wave. Knocking Myself Up, a memoir of my infertility, will be published by Day Street Books this summer. She is a 2021 Guggenheim Fellow. And Brontes Purnell is a writer, musician, dancer, filmmaker, and performance artist. He is the author of a graphic novel, a novella, a children's book, and the novel Since I Laid My Burden Down. The recipient of a 2018 Whiting Writers Award for Fiction and the 2022 Foundation for Contemporary Arts Robert Rauschenberg Award. He was named one of the 32 Black male writers of our time by T, the New York Times Style Magazine in 2018. Purnell is also the frontman for the band Younger Lovers, a co-founder of the experimental dance group, the Brontes Purnell Dance Company, the creator of the renowned cult zine Fag School, and the director of several short films, music videos, and the documentary Unstoppable Feet, The Dances of Ed Moth. Born in Triana, Alabama, he's lived in Oakland, California for 20 years now, as we were mentioning earlier. So welcome, everyone. Let's hear what you've got to say. You missed all the tea, the backstage tea. We were talking about therapy. Yeah. And <laughs> Mostly <yeah>. therapy. <laughs> Mostly therapy, yeah. Wait, so, so fun. I've never been in a three-part book thing. Same. Yeah. Same. I don't know how this happened, but <laughs> I'm really I'm a big proponent of the thumbs up on a video chat. I feel like it's such a helpful way to be like I'm on board without fucking up the like audio. Uh, what is the like algorithm that they have so you can hear yourself or something? You know what I mean? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Wait, so what's the plan? Do we have an itinerary? Am I reading? Are we just talking? Do we just do whatever we want? Oh no, I think here's what I think. Okay. Not that I'm the queen. I think that you should read and then we talk and then you like read a little more and then we talk a little more and see if other oh. people have questions. Okay. Um, that, anyone like that? That works for me. Yeah, totally. I didn't plan what to read in advance except for one thing. So I'll just read a little bit and then I'll read a little bit more and then we'll talk and we'll we'll do the things that you just said. Cool. Um, <laughs> okay. Um, this is a short chapter from the middle of Nevada. This is so weird to be, this is like my fucking bedroom. Like, it's so weird to just be like, I'm gonna read into a computer now. Um, okay, but this is from the middle of Nevada. Mm. Star City, Nevada is fucking bullshit. James grew up in the worst fucking town and he still lives here and he's probably going to die here. It's stupid. It was a boom town in the late 1800s, all beefy cowboys and ladies of the night or whatever. And then everybody realized there was no fucking gold here and left for California. Then nothing happened for a hundred years. 
It was just a shitty little stream dribbling down between two shitty little mountains until sometime around when he was born, the Walmart Corporation saw an opportunity for brand infiltration and blew a hole in the side of one of the mountains and put a little bridge across the middle of the parking lot so the stream could run through it and differentiate the Star City Walmart from every other Walmart in the country that doesn't have a stupid fucking stream running through the middle of its stupid fucking parking lot. He actually kind of likes the stream. As soon as there was a Walmart in Star City, the people who got jobs at the Walmart needed places to live, so they built these shitty condos down the length of the stream, and then, when all the waterfront property was taken up, they started paving streets away from the stream until they practically almost had a fucking town here. Almost a town. Definitely not a city. There's a truck stop out toward Route 80 and a couple stores that aren't Walmart. A shitty little florist, a shitty kind of big garage, but mostly since Walmart sells everything every other shitty little store would sell anyway, this town is like there is a mountain with a Walmart on it. Then there are a bunch of stupid buildings on the hill spread out beneath it. Then there are some more houses around where the ground flattens out. There's a steep road that goes straight down the hill and a less steep road that swerves around the long way down the hill. And last year they put in a GameStop and a subway and six empty stores in a strip mall between the highway and the Walmart. But mostly what they have is dirt and dust and nothing and majestic boring vistas and bored asshole teenagers and stars. The name of the shitty little town makes it sound like celebrities would vacation here or something, like in a dumb cop show from the 70s or a two-dimensional stage set from an old black and white movie. But really, the only reason to name this shitty town Star City is that at night there are so many fucking stars above it, as long as you're facing away from the Walmart. That's the short chapter that I'm reading right now. Oh, it's so good. You're so <laughs> punk. I can't believe that you're Michelle T and you're telling me that my writing is so good, even though you blurb the original, you know, edition. And I already knew that you thought that. It's just so lovely. Thank you. Oh, thank you for writing it. Yeah, what, I do what I can. What what year did it originally come out? It was first published in 2013, although we had some copies like in circulation in 2012. It yes. is truly just so punk. Your the, the the voice is so punk. I mean, can I ask you like how will you talk about how the whole how you came into the story? Like how did the story come to you? How did you come into the story? What was the whole process? Because you were doing a lot of writing online, right? Yeah, I was. What was I doing? Well, so I wrote it in 2018. And prior to that, where was I? I wasn't on Tumblr yet. I don't know what was going on. I was writing wherever I could, basically. Like, I started writing on a website called Fiction Mania, which is where people publish, like, gender transformation erotica when I was, like, 20. Um, and I was like, I don't know where to write, so this feels like the spot because there probably isn't a better spot than this. And, it, yeah, kind of evolved from there. I mean, where was I writing? And how did I get into this story? These are great questions. And... I don't, it's so weird talking about something from 15 years ago, right? Like what was going on in my brain 15 years ago? I don't fucking know. I like, know, know. like, I wanna know also like, where were you living? What job did you have? What was like the whole, what was the zhuzh too? Like, yeah. <laughs> great. That's okay. stage. It's funny, and also okay. I just, I always feel like family with you too, cause we both wrote for Maximum Rock and Roll. And my first book, Johnny, Would You Love Me If My Dick Were Bigger? We have the same editor publisher and like both of our first books were written around like the same time. And I mm -hmm. was publishing my book in Maximum Rock and Roll while you were publishing this other places. Oh so yeah. So I was trying to see where this was all like locking and 
Yeah. yeah. I remember reading your columns in Maximum Rock and Roll and being like, this is the, like, I've been reading Maximum since I was a teenager and being like, this is like my favorite shit in Maximum. I was like, such a fan of your writing. I forgot that it was, that that was like your book going monthly in Maximum. But yeah, so, okay. So same, I feel like such a, yeah, kinship and appreciation of your work and think it's funny that we we haven't been friends prior to right now when we just became friends. But, um, right, I think that's what happened. Um, yeah, yeah, great. I'm so the year is 2008. <laughs> all right, I got you. Um, the year is 2008. I'm living in, I mean, it was either like North Oakland up by um, the university or like Berkeley over by Shattuck, one of those houses. I'm working at Pegasus Books. I was playing guitar and singing in a band called Angela Chase. Um, yeah, I was just like broke. I was like a barely intro and barely employable trans person who'd been out for a couple years and like um, was like very fortunate to have a job. And I think I only got hired as like such a, I'm not gonna be self-critical here. I mostly had a job because I had worked at the Strand in New York City prior to leaving New York. And so when I came to this bookstore, I was like, hey, looking for a bookstore job. They're like, dang, you look, you worked at the Strand. Like, that's cool. So yeah, I was working at Pegasus Books in Berkeley. Um, I may have been a used book buyer by that point. I think that's right. So I would like go through the books that people brought in. And yeah, I mean, I was thinking a lot about trans representation, right? Like that was kind of the the thing at the core of writing this book was like, why have I never seen a trans person represented in anything that like feels like a real trans person that would exist in the world? Like, you know, all you've seen is these like, I don't know, I don't want to talk shit. I don't, I mean, but, but there, there, there had been a lot of very bad trans representation in the world and not very much very good trans representation. I was really hungry for it. And like, you know, I came from book world, right? I like had been writing since forever. I've been publishing zines since forever. And so it's kind of like, this is like what I know, this is what I want to do, right? Like I want to write fiction. And so, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Where that was going is I was a used book buyer in fucking Berkeley, California, which meant all kinds of shit was coming into our store, right? It's a great town to be a used book buyer in. Um, and so if there was like cool trans fiction in like book form, I was kind of like, I probably would have seen it, right? Like there was stuff, it was sporadic. You had like Les Feinberg and you had um, other people who were writing things and sometimes something would come in from a tiny press and you'd read it. But like, generally speaking, it was this weird thing where I was just like, why are there no, it wasn't a weird thing. It, the reasons were very clear why there was no decent trans representation. But um, yeah, Nevada was like specifically about that. And it was kind of this thing of like, I don't know, like how do you, Like it wasn't supposed to be like, here's good trans representation, right? Or like, here is like what the world needs as much as like, oh, if I'm gonna do this, like I'm gonna do this from my perspective based on like myself and the people that I know rather than like an analysis of the broader culture. And like mostly what I knew was like fucked up, like mostly white trans women in their twenties who were like blowing up their lives, right? That's an overstatement to be funny. That's probably not exactly who it was, but like, you know, a lot of the people that I knew were- <laughs> okay so maybe it's not overstatement exactly but uh, yeah the idea was just like all right well if i'm gonna do this like i get to do this in a way that feels like cool and interesting to me as somebody who's like you know who's felt most i feel like the word empowered 
has become weird, but like, but who has felt empowered by writing the writing of people like Dennis Cooper and Kathy Acker and these folks who are just like doing their thing, regardless of like what, you know, you would expect to sell or something like that. And so I was kind of like, yeah, I'm gonna write this book that does what I want it to. And I had such, like, I did not expect it to be going back into print with FSG in 10 years in the future, right? And to be interviewed by our like, interviewed by W Magazine and Vulture and shit. This is all so surreal because at the time, like my partner recently was, you know, we met in 2006 and she was like, yeah, when I met you, the smart money was not on you becoming a writer who is like respected and getting a lot of money for this shit, like writing for TV, right? Um, and like, I was, that was fine. It, it would have been absurd for me to be like, I'm gonna write a thing that's gonna like get me a career writing for TV or like any of these things, like in 2008, writing a book about a trans woman's subjectivity was always like audacious, right? Like about a trans woman who has some subjectivity. Um, yeah, and I feel really fortunate too that I got to write a book like the ending, I feel like people love or hate the ending. And I feel like, I, I wish I could remember who said this. It might have been Daphne Gottlieb, the poet Daphne Gottlieb, who's like a friend from way, way back who I haven't seen in a million years, but, I think she was like appreciating the ending and being like, yeah, you you went for it. You like didn't chicken out, right? You actually like gave the book the ending that it needed to have in a way that is like, you know, again, not commercial, not like traditionally satisfying from like a narrative structure standpoint, but in terms of like character and what the book was doing, I feel like the ending really works. And because I guess I, I am not good at speaking highly of my own work, but like, because it was the first book of its kind in a sense to really like make an impact, I feel really fortunate that it was able to be a book that kind of was not only so honest, but so like narratively like, fuck you. You know what I mean? Like I'm gonna do this story the way that it's gotta be done rather than like try to, <laughs> I wanna give you thumbs up. Um, that's all over the place. I don't know if that makes sense as a response to the question you just asked, but I think that's my answer. It does. It's so great. You guys, both of you um, have such, um, you're, you're such icons in that, like you did just remain, you have just remained totally true to the art that you want to put out into the world. And you've gotten this really cool success on your own terms while still remaining punk as fuck. So very exciting. Very I was exciting. reading, even in your earlier, like, in the early Amazon bad reviews of your book, the Yelp style section, all of your, the bad reviews from random people saying, it's the same thing they said about my book too. They're like, wow, they see, this seems like a really detached style of writing. Wow, this is like all happening really fast. And I don't know, I just can't help but like think that there was some type of like, especially with Michelle T sitting right here, that there was some type of language or some type of school that was just very so Bay Area, and of that time and just seems so godless to other people. But I just think it's like, makes a lot more sense now, just a few seconds down the road, you know, that, no, I just, I really, I'm excited about, I believe that I, 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 I always thought the money was on you, God damn it. I thought, <laughs> like, okay, just give it a little fucking time. Like it would make sense, like, so. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. I mean, it's true, right? That like my fantasy for Nevada when I was first writing it, because Topside Press, like there was no press that was like looking for trans stuff. 
I was like, I'm gonna get this published by like Soft Skull or like Manic D or one of these publishers that I was like, loved a lot of the work they were doing, but they were publishing like, you know, weird shit, right? Like small kind of cool, weird shit that was also like not super commercial. And I was like, yeah, that's where I would like to be. And I think that's what you're talking about in terms of like a lot of the Bay Area stuff, right? I think of Manic D is like, I would have nights when you'd, you know, be in San Francisco and you'd end up at somebody's house and they were rich and there was like a seven foot by seven foot portrait of them behind their couch. And you'd be like, holy shit, I am in like a book from Manic D or like, honestly, because Michelle, you got there a little bit before us, like, or like a Michelle, like this feels like something that would happen in a Michelle T book, right? Oh my God. Um, oh my God. Um, yeah. this is, I love this. Like, I love your Bay Area roots. Um, it's so neat that we all share that. Um, who, who are you re like, I, I, I get that, like you mentioned, like, um, Les Feinberg and that like some, you know, some queer stuff came in, but queer or not, like, who are the voices that sort of influenced you? Well, you said Dennis Cooper and Kathy Acker. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I feel like it's kind of a bummer to talk about, um, Juno Diaz now because Juno Diaz has kind of been outed as like, you know, having made some pretty bad decisions, but the brief wondrous life of Oscar Wilde was like, it blew my mind when it came out. I had read his book of short stories from before then and like the scale and just like the audacity of what he was doing there and like his like fearlessness around being like, yeah, like we're talking about Dominican shit, right? Like we were just going there in a way that was felt fearless. That was like, that, that I had read, I think the year before I wrote Nevada and that was still like buzzing in my head for sure. I mean, Nevada is not similar to that book in a lot of ways, but like there, there were ways that it felt kind of like the other ones that I mentioned, like uh, giving permission in a way to just like kind of go down your own rabbit hole and do the thing. Who else was I reading at that time? I don't know. I was, I was reading like whatever came through. I'm trying to remember what was going on in 2008 that I was into. I think I was rereading the, the George Miles cycle, the Dennis Cooper books at that time. Um, I think I'm a little bit on the spot. I'm not going to come up with anything good because yeah, it was 15 no, it's years ago. But. Well, right. was, do you, what were the, were there any zines from the 90s or early 2000s that you thought like was like the jump off or spark? Man, it's such a good question. And I feel like I can't name like any famous zines that everybody was reading. I feel like there were a lot of zines that just like friends and friends of friends were reading. Like, um, I don't know if y'all know Katie Kaput. She had a zine called Night Cookies. Um, but that was like, she was just like doing her own drawings and it was very like uncomplicated. And it was just about her being like trans and being a mom in Oregon. Um, you know, in like, yeah, like the early 2000s, it was very cool. She was somebody I was looking up to. And there were a ton of zines like that, that were like, I don't think being distributed on a super large scale. I don't even know what else I could point to. I mean, I could Doris? name some stuff. What's up? Doris? Oh, of course. You yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah man i haven't heard of i haven't thought about doris in a while but of course doris was like in somewhere in like every house that anyone i knew lived in in the bay right there are hella dorises around um, i remember just being 17 and i was in chattanooga tennessee and i was writing zines and then i just remember reading about like it was some story about her getting an abortion uh -huh. which like they just you know like i think even in the late 90s early 2000s you wouldn't have just casually read that anywhere and i remember being like oh shit like 
I just, I don't know. And like there were, uh, there were other realms to like go in was like talking about personal experience and like really making you think of how much of your life is not presented to you at all. And so For I just, I remember being all like, oh, if I'm a writer, I have to be able to match this tone with my level of, you know what I'm saying? Like that yeah. was like, of like directness or like, just like going for it, right? For sure. I moved into, I wrote a little bit about this in the new afterwards for Nevada, but I moved into a house called the Fork in the Road that was in Oakland, like North Oakland. And, um, uh, you know, prior to moving to Oakland, I had like, you know, done some organizing with Camp Trans and like, you know, new people in New York and had community and stuff, but I'd never like, the house that I moved into in Oakland was like, I think it was a, a bunch of the people there had gone to Smith. And so we're really connected to these like deep, like capital F feminism roots in a way that like, I hadn't really had access to before. And there was all this shit there, all these zines that I can't like remember the names of. And it just like, you know, all this like 70s feminist, whatever. And so it was like, holy shit. I never had like knew how to access this stuff before. And that you know, I moved to Oakland beginning of 2007, so this was not that long before I wrote Nevada too. But like a lot of that stuff that I just like hadn't known how to find before, I, I wrote about this bridge called My Back as like a really important book for just like you know, there's a thing about like being hyper visible in the public realm and then also like hyper visible in a subcultural realm and feeling like really vulnerable in both. That was just like I didn't have language for that prior to it, so like. I kind of think of a lot of that stuff as just like, I kind of dove in and read as much as I could as soon as I got to Oakland in that world. Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Do you guys see the chat on the side? Somebody says, yes, make her talk about zines. I don't have anything intelligent to say. Somebody else said, <laughs> <"Dork information plan." laughs> sorry, what, what were you going to say? You? Oh no, cut me off. It's your show. Um, no, no. Like what, I'm wondering what it was like for you to go back and for this edition and then have to write the afterward like mm -hmm. what was was it awkward did was were you like yes i've had so much to say about this like what was that like yeah totally it was weird um like i mentioned i'm not good at like saying kind things to myself or like about my work or what i do i like really struggle you know it's my shit. but so it's hard to you know people are like Nevada is ground zero for modern trans lit. And I'm like, holy shit, like, I can't let that penetrate. Like, what am I going to do with that information? And so it, it was a question for a while when they were like, do a new, when Jackson was like, we're going to have you do a new afterward. I was like, what the fuck am I going to do with this? And like, you know, tried to write about like cultural impact, but like, I don't have a sense of how to write about my own cultural, like, that's weird. And so they were like, give us like 1500 words. And after a ton of drafts of really trying to get into it from a bunch of different ways, I was like, oh, like, what am I comfortable doing? I am comfortable giving credit to other people, right? And so, like, a lot of, <laughs> I see that face. I'm just being honest. I would love this, like for this not to be true. But um, also, like, I, I mean, it feels good, right, to be able to be, like, actually, like, here are all the things that made Nevada possible, right? And, like, with that as the way in and talking about, like, writers and talking about, like, communities and being connected with these things, like, there's a bunch of ways in. Um, to like, what are the things I can give credit for for making Nevada possible, and therefore like, kind of defuse or like take away some of the credit that has been given to me for like inventing a new thing out of whole cloth. I'm like, I didn't, you know, 
yes, I did a good job, right? But like, I don't think I can say I like, I don't know, maybe I did, but it feels weird to be like, I invented a whole new thing and it's called modern trans literature, good for me. You know what I mean? So like, once I was able to say, this is not me celebrating myself, this is me kind of giving credit to all the people that helped me to get to that point, it was a way in. And then um, I didn't even realize I was doing it, but a lot of people who have read that afterward have been like, this is actually the thing that is most compelling about this is it's like a portrait of like, being trans in the like mid aughts and like early internet just as like capitalism was figuring out how to turn the internet into a like social media death machine um and so yeah like a lot of people have found that interesting but for me it was really like a question of I don't think I can just write nice things about myself so like how do I write this thing and I think I mentioned they were like give us like 1500 words and then when I figured out I could be giving other people credit I was like here are 6,000 words <laughs> like <laughs> Cool. Thanks. Um, check out the chat. Somebody put a link to Night Cookies on the Digital Trans Archive. Oh shit! Oh, oh, yes. that's yeah. awesome. <laughs> Thanks oh, for man, doing Matt, that. You're amazing. Awesome. Um, that's my kind of thing. Like sometimes, um, just like I came to the Bay Area in like 2002, right? And I just I felt like um, there was so much. So much that I was immediately kind of exposed to where I just, I feel like I've seen just kind of like bubbled out and like everybody has access, access to it, right? Because I don't know, it's just like, I feel like I was hanging out with just a bunch of like dyke sex workers in the mission, like that's who raised me, right? And I remember 20 years ago, the only person who, one of the people who dared call themselves queer were like dyke sex workers in the mission, right? cut to now everybody kind of that term, you know but a place in genesis when like the first bars started closing in the bay the first queer bars it was always like the lex it was always like kind of like them identified places just what do you feel like do you feel like your scene kind of has been sold to the world do you ever have that kind of old punk like that kind of bitterness around that or do you still feel kind of a nostalgic clean to when those things felt new or just like yours, like you were part of a secret club? Or do you think it's better that these things have bellowed out? What a great question that, I mean, I feel like we're just getting into my own pathology here, but I, I don't feel like my like scene has, has like sold out to the world and the world has gotten it because like, <laughs> it's been rare for me to feel super connected to a scene, right? Like when I was in the Bay Area, I didn't feel like I had a scene, right? Like I had queer people that I was close with. It was mostly like, yeah, like dykes, like, and a lot of sex workers for sure. But like, um, I didn't feel super connected to a scene. And in fact, I, I didn't realize, so I was only, I, I moved to the Bay at the beginning of 2007 and we left at some point in 2010. So I was only there for a few years. Um, but when we left, I like I felt fucked up the whole time I was in the Bay, right? I felt all fucked up, and like I was talking about the the this bridge from this bridge called my back being about like specifically women of color feeling hyper visible in public, but also like hyper vulnerable in like feminist and radical communities, right? And kind of the marginalization that can happen on both levels, and it kind of gave me language to, for a lot of what I was experiencing in terms of like. I am hella trans and like people are seeing that and I'm getting a lot of shit for it. But then when I try to like 
go home and do like feminist stuff or whatever it is. Like I am ostensibly accepted, but in practice, I like keep feeling all fucked up whenever I go to like a potluck or whatever it is that I'm trying to go to. Like I just shit keeps happening. That makes me feel like, Oh, you don't like you. I want to say that you're like chill with trans people, but you like haven't done the work. And so yeah, it was like stressful in terms of those things. And then I wound up leaving, uh, when I left the Bay, we moved to Portland, Maine. And I had a couple of things where like trans guys who had been vetted by friends came over to my house and would just say fucked up like trans misogynist shit. And I was kind of like, okay, this is everywhere, right? Like I don't actually get to feel connected to a community. Um, what do I do with that? And it got like, it got grim. It got kind of, uh, intense because I, I went to this place of like, all right, I was coming to queer communities with this sense of entitlement, right? And I guess like, I don't get to feel entitled to community that I didn't have a hand in creating, right? And so like, um, which is not to say like, you know, like zines coming out of feminist traditions and like all the punk stuff and all that was like, yes, I didn't feel like I was like actively being pushed out. I was just kind of like, why doesn't this feel like this, these, I don't know, communities have my back. And meanwhile, while I had been in, <laughs> while I had, uh, yeah, this is, that's what I'm saying. Like you asked. <laughs> um, I am with you. <laughs> so when I had been in the Bay, I had tried to go to a couple of like trans support groups and like never really connected with one. And at some point, probably like 2008 or 2009, I was like, oh, like if I want to have community here, like I'm gonna have to start a group. And so we started a group. And I've done that a few times in my life in a few different places, being like, I'm starting a trans women's group where we're meeting every week or every other week or like whatever it is that people want to do. Um, oh, hey, hold on a sec. I've got a little peanut here. You guys want to see my sleepyhead kid? I will be right back. Hey, my love. Oh, did you wake up? Did you see that gremlin? Oh, that little toe-headed gremlin? I am dying. Oh my god. I didn't arrange that. We can't. <laughs> that was not on purpose. I was is so magical. What yeah. That's, if that's... my parents had had Zoom meetings, it would have been like, get the fuck out! I didn't told you not to <laughs> I mean yeah, I could be trying not to do that, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. yeah that little peanut that's my five-year-old they were just asleep and i think must have heard me yelling at the computer about feeling alienated and we're like this feels bad i'm waking up um <laughs> what was i saying oh just a, like yeah like having had a, um wait, is that ryan LeBay in the chat i see your face holy shit hello this is the second time ryan that i've like indirectly bumped into you at a nevada publicity thing so it's cool to see you over here um, anyway, so yeah, so like, I never kind of felt like this is my community or this is my scene in a way that then like, if it blows up or like, is kind of co-opted by the larger culture, I feel betrayed by it just because it was kind of like, yeah, like most of this stuff didn't feel like it was mine. And even, I don't know, like, maybe I'm just bad at feeling like things are mine or like I like can kind of have some ownership over them I don't know but with band stuff too it always kind of felt like 
Yeah, like I was just like bad at being in a community about it. I was always like, I'm gonna have a band with some friends, right? And we're gonna play shows, but I'm not gonna do publicity for this. I don't know how to do fucking publicity. I've never had that as like a skill. You know what I mean? So like, I always played in bands, but they never really got popular or anything because it was like, yeah, yeah, we're gonna write our songs, we're gonna play them, we're gonna like do our thing. But, um, yeah. I'm, I'm like trying to decide how much of my history of playing in bands I should do. My last band that I played in was called Correspondences and we were fucking great. And we got um, named one of the, the Banger Daily News named us one of the top 100 albums, one of the top 100 main albums of the 2010s, which is funny because I was playing a bass guitar with like a huge, like a lot of distortion on it. And my friend Emily was playing a cello and my friend Lee was playing drums and we were just playing as loud and slow by candlelight as we could. And people were into it. But like, you know, again, I don't feel like that's been co-opted by the mainstream necessarily. You know what I mean? That was just us like doing our shit. So yes, it's a hard question. I don't exactly, like, I guess that's kind of my relationship to that question but yeah we're called correspondences chat it's it was amazing you can find us on bandcamp <laughs> the recordings are not good oh. but we were good <laughs> um go ahead no no you go you go i'm like just trying to wrap my hand around it because it's like we totally like i'm um i'm having like a, my, my gynecological clock is ticking and i've been wanting mm. to have like a baby for a couple of years now and just hearing you talk about just like being like a like a, like a punk and just feeling like totally like you know like alienated in this and this weird community and then go over the years and now you condense down to like this like small town where you like have like the baby like in the house and like going to do it like have like is your mind just like fucking blown or is it something that happens so incrementally that it doesn't even like register? It's just like how do you reconcile just how far and how disparate maybe the word's not disparate, how different your two realities are. And especially waking up and having this book from all these years ago, like having to actually relive the visceral experience of what is, you know, kind of some traumatic stuff also that you have to revisit in the rebirth of this. Like, how is this all, how are the, all these synapses firing for you? Yeah, yeah. And like, how does the timeline connect? Um, you know, what's weird? So, um, I mentioned being a therapist. I I think I was working in a bookstore in Portland, Maine in like 2011. And I was like, I'm never working another fucking Christmas in retail, right? <laughs> hey, Jackson. Um, I was like, I'm never working another Christmas in retail. I'm gonna go to grad school. I don't understand how this debt shit works. I don't understand actually what I'm signing up for in terms of $100,000 worth of debt. But like, I'm doing grad school because I don't want to keep doing this. And I had, I started doing work with um, like domestic violence work with Community United Against Violence. Do you all know that organization? Um, they're like queer domestic violence organization in the Bay. I started doing like overnight crisis counseling with them in like 2007, 2008 and had like kind of gotten into like social worky world through that. And so this is so much prelude for the actual point and like answer to your question, but um. That was sort of my way in. And I was like, I'm going to do a master's degree in clinical mental health counseling. And so I did. And it was like, the idea was, this is what I'm going to do. And so I worked in a homeless shelter for a minute. I wound up spending a couple years as a social worker and therapist in a psychiatric hospital. But like, just after I got my master's degree, I finished it. I got a call from 
Joan Rader, who had been a producer on Grey's Anatomy for like 10 years. And she was like, hey, we're doing this show with Laverne Cox. We read your book. Do you want to come write for like this show on CBS with Laverne Cox? And I was like, I mean, there's no way this is real, but sure, I'll move out to LA and write for a show for Laverne Cox. And so like, I don't know, part of finding myself in TV world, it wound up being real, was being like, oh shit, like this is so different from anything else I've experienced, right? Like you are paying me enough money to pay my rent and food and then some, like this has never been my experience before. Um, and so like, also like seeing like Katherine Heigl and Dulé Hill and like just all these like big deal people um, moving in that world was so different. It was really like, I mean, once again, I didn't feel like I fit in necessarily, but like there were great people in that writer's room and it was a great experience. And that really like, I feel like it, it took me a step away from like this thing where I had continually been trying to connect with like, I don't know, outside or whatever kind of communities and like not really feeling hyper connected. This is not as narratively satisfying as I thought it would be to tell as a story this way. It's a um, big question. So. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, the other side of it is just like, uh, like I said, my partner and I met in 2006 and we've been together since then and really like have cultivated like kindness in our relationship and just do a really good job of being like, I'm losing my shit, but I'm not losing my shit at you, right? Like when, when things are hard and like we have a really good relationship in this way that like I had not really had prior to that. And like we worked on it, right? It was, there were rough times, especially early on, but like we got to this really good place where like there's a part of me that would be stoked to be touring with my friends in like a pickup truck with a dog and like drums in the back you know what i mean like i'm stoked to be still doing that but it's also like i don't know i remember being a kid and being like yeah i never want to have like a day job and a mortgage and now i'm like i never want to fucking work all the time and be doing like retail until 11 o'clock every night and just like you know what i mean the shit that was like shitty about being broke in that world was really shitty whereas like uh, now we literally have a mortgage and I'm like, I'm not just giving all my money to a landlord who's going to eat it and I'll never get anything for it. You know what I mean? Um, and, you know, I realized pretty early on that having a regular schedule where you get up at the same time and go to bed at the same time just makes me feel a lot more sane than like always being working on some fucking hustle or, you know, whatever job it was. So like, I don't know, I got old, you get old and you're like, you know what, it would be nice to have shit be less wild, at least in my experience. So yeah, it's really different, but it's it's lovely to have like some stability in my life in a way that just like I haven't or had not previously had a lot of access to. So I don't know, I'm just kind of grateful for all of it, honestly. What sign are you? Great question. Aries Pisces cusp. Oh, okay, cool. Mm -hmm. And what's do you know like your rising and your moon and your Mercury and everything? I forget. I feel like there's a bunch of Capricorns, but I don't remember all of them. That would make sense. That would yeah, make sense. Right? You had a lot of Capricorn too. Yeah. Oh, that's so yeah. great. I love a cusp. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Very cuspy. Very yeah. like end of the zodiac, beginning of the zodiac, fire and water. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cool. I forgot, um, our fearless editor is in the chat. Yeah. Everybody say hi to Jackson in the chat. Hi, Jackson. Hi, Jackson. How did this? How did this new edition happen? Did you and Jackson know each other? Is Jackson a fan? I mean, obviously Jackson is a fan, but is that was that the beginning of your connection or? Um, yeah, it's a it's a story that like I don't exactly know how to tell because I don't want to be rude to anybody. But um, basically, 
And Jackson reached out a few years ago and he was like, hey, I just read Nevada. Do you have another book? And I was like, fuck, yes, but it doesn't work. And he was like, well, uh, he actually connected me to my literary agent. And she was like, yeah, yeah, I read it. it doesn't work. And I was like, fine. So like, didn't send him the new book yet. I still like have to find time to make the new book work. It was pointed out to me that that was the same problem with Nevada. It didn't work for five fucking years until we got it to work and then we could publish it. So I'm on this other book that is also just not been working for a long time, but also don't know how to find the time to work on it with all this stuff going on. Um, but wait, what was the question? Sorry. Oh, just how the how the new edition of Nevada? How did it happen? How did it happen? Yeah. Great. So Jackson had reached out and it been like, I want to, I want to talk about your next book. And I was like, cool. And kind of left it there. And then another editor from another press, who I never know if I should name or not, but I haven't been naming, so I'm not going to name, but another editor from another press reached out and was like, Hey, like my, my booksellers who are selling books are telling me this book has gone out of print and they're like, have sold a lot and like, would love to know if there are plans to get it back in print or if we could talk about that. And I was like, Oh shit, I like hadn't even realized because like, you know, Nevada came out on a small press called Topside. I never saw a royalty check for it or anything like that. It was just kind of like I was stoked that it was in the world and opened a lot of doors for me. Um, but yeah, so I hadn't realized that it was like all the way out of print. I knew it was like hard to get, but I didn't really understand Topside's distribution thing or what their model or any of that stuff. So um, she reached out. She was like, my publisher is interested in putting it back in print. I was like, okay. Um, let me talk to this other publisher who just like had reached out about my work previously because actually what I did was I reached out to my lit agent to be like, hey, what is the etiquette here? Because I have no idea. And she was like, yeah, you could probably talk to both presses and see what they say. And so um, at the end of the day, FSG was just like, a, and specifically MCD was like a great fit for this weird book, right? Like uh, Jackson, you're here. But I mean, Jackson is just like, knows what he's fucking doing, right? Jackson does a great job of like, uh, finding writers and working with them and like you know mcd specifically their whole thing is like sort of uh jackson will you say the words that they use to describe what mcd does because i forget what exactly what exactly it is it's like challenging narrative or something jackson will not um but um <laughs> thank you jackson i'm done saying nice things about you now um yeah, it was just it was just like a great fit. Like like FSG and NCD was like a really good fit for the book and really got it in a way that like I don't want to say anybody else didn't get it. It just it uh, did I just turn off my speaker thing? Did that just get weird. Yeah, we can hear you. Yes, great. It beeped. Um, yeah. So uh, it was the, the short version is another publisher reached out. I checked in with Jackson because he had reached out previously and wound up going with them instead of the first the second publisher who reached out. Um, because, yeah, because, like, otherwise, I probably would have just, like, there was a website where you could download a PDF or an ebook for free for a long time because um, it was published under Creative Commons license. And I was just, like, stoked for people to have access to it. And so, I you know, it was, like, available from my perspective, even though it's obviously not as fun to read a book on a screen as it is on paper. It probably isn't obvious at this point. Um, in conclusion, that's what happened. Cool. There's a, there's a question here too. Somebody, um, Hal is asking if you will tell us about books or films you hope to write in the future. They really like your Burlington, Vermont love actually movie. What is this? Yeah. Yeah. Did you all hear about this? No. Um, so I wrote for a couple TV shows. I actually sold a movie that I don't think I can really talk about. It's an adaptation of somebody else's book. I don't think I can say that much about it. Um, but 
I like have a manager in like screenwriting world now too. And so, um, yeah, it's just like, well, I should sell a fucking movie, right? Like people pay for movies in a way that they don't, in my experience, pay for books. Although now they pay me for Nevada, but, um, so yeah, what did I write? I don't know. I've written a bunch of stuff, but one of the things I wrote, I was like, I'm fucking writing Love Actually, but what if everybody in Love Actually was trans? And actually, what if it was set in Burlington, Vermont, which Francis just mentioned. So if you want to know what Burlington is like, you can read the pinned tweet at the top of my Twitter. I don't mean to be weird, but one question that's so burning before you go on, is Burlington where the coat factory is? That's a great question. I mean, the coat factory is all over the place, right? There are a lot of- Is that like the first one? Is that like- It's gotta be, right? Hey, chat, will you fact check us? Is the Burlington Coat Factory from Burlington, Vermont? Um, I think so. My guess is yes. I don't think there are a lot of Burlingtons, although I don't really know. Um, yeah, so the Nevada, the 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 Love Actually thing was just me saying, like, I'm literally going to write a movie. Because, like, Love Actually is kind of iconic at this point. Actually, I don't know if you can see this. I have a Love Actually tattoo. Um, my friend Christine and I got together. I know it's a problematic film. The root of the tattoo was what would be the dumbest tattoo that we could get. And then we both got it together. Um, Love it. But yeah, I was like, well, this is iconic. And wouldn't it be fun to have a, like an ensemble with like a thousand, oh, Claire, I think just posted Burlington Township, New Jersey. I'm wow. from New Jersey. You'd think I would know that it was a New Jersey Burlington, but I didn't know that. It sounds like, no, it sounds like we've got the wrong Burlington. Hmm. Um, yeah, so I wrote a movie that was just a scene for scene recreation of Love Actually, if every character was trans and if it was set in Burlington, Vermont, and um, was informed the moment that I sent it to my my screenwriting manager that it violates a lot of like, intellectual property laws to try to write a scene for scene recreation. So I spent a lot of time writing this fucking movie thinking I was going to get hella paid for it. And instead, I just was told, nope, you like can't. So I put it on Twitter instead and people have been into it. Oh, that's so great. I love that you did that. I love that it's yeah. on Twitter. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, um, will you read a little bit more of Nevada? Yeah, should I read more Nevada? I have to figure out. Okay, you all say some interesting things that I already know, so I'm not interested in them. And then I'll find a chapter to read. Oh, like we talk amongst ourselves? Talk amongst yourselves, yeah. yeah. Let's try not to do the thing, but that's the thing that we're doing. Okay. Okay, okay like Michelle, so like, yeah. how was your day? <laughs> so that's my, interesting. day my day was good. It started with a salt bagel with um, scallion. Oh, I was going to say it started with a salt. Yeah. And I was like... <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm sorry. It started with a bagel encrusted with salt. It was so good. And then I... I finished recording my audio book. I've been recording my audio book of my book that's coming out in August. And, you know, they give you all these little tips on like how to be a good audiobook reader, which I think I'm actually pretty good at it. And I really love doing it. But one thing they say is like, don't eat any dairy. But the studio is right across the street from like the best bagel place in Los Angeles. And I hadn't been going and today was my last day. And I'm like, what the fuck? Who cares? Like, I'm getting a bagel and cream cheese before I go. And I just was like, just like, like horrible dairy throat, like mucusy milk bubble, like popping in my mouth, like as I'm reading through it. And then I just had to confess to the director and the producer be like, I'm sorry, I had cream cheese. Like, it's true. I, I didn't, I wasn't taking it seriously, but it's quite serious. 
Do you do you know that as a singer? Not to drink. I mean, like when I did my audio book, I have a lot of voices that use both Southern and California speak, mm-hmm. and I could not get my shit through Audible when I talked in character or mimic those voices. Like, because they would come back being like, you clipped an R, or this sounds like this. or like. So sometimes I just feel like it's me rereading the whole thing kind of flat. And I'm a theater major. I like talking in places. awful. Oh, no. That's terrible. I would totally want to listen to the audiobook of you reading it in, in the accents. Yeah, Sam. The fucking colloquial English is so frowned upon. By the it's gatekeepers true. of the English language, and it's when she's really speaking true. that voice, you know, you are yeah. you are godless. But yeah, we are my, of the people. I think. Yeah, my sister went to Emerson College in Boston in the like you know I don't know eight nineties eighties, um, and she like it's a it's a communications school, right? And everybody of a, a mandatory class for all incoming freshmen is voice and articulation, and they basically. Well scrub the regional accent out of all the students like wherever you're from they just get rid of the accent so that you come out just speaking like wow. a news minister is that wild that's wild last thing i'll say but it's like i was talking to a friend about like how in third grade they put me in speech class and like i've never like but it was all these people that like deeply stuttered and like all this other shit. I never did that. But now it dawned on me they just did it because I sounded like a faggot. <laughs> like, oh I was oh like, I was like, there is like, I'm like <laughs> there, I haven't read this in like 20 years, but there's a David Sedaris essay about that. He was saying the same thing. He was like, he got put in speech class for the same reason. And that there was other like gay kids in there and they would look at each other and be like, and like we can't acknowledge the thing that we are seeing in each other. I haven't oh. read it forever. I don't remember specifics, but I totally that's a thing. That's fucked up. Oh my god. Yeah. Um, sure. Okay, I'm just I don't know what to read. I usually like prepare in advance. So I'm just gonna read the next chapter after the one that I just read. Um and maybe I'll just do the whole thing. I don't know. This is too long. I want to talk to y'all. Okay, I'm gonna read like a couple paragraphs and then try to do we have till 10, right? We have to get off in like 10 minutes, so. Yes, people are here for Nevada. All right, I'll read a little bit. That's the big picture. That's Star City from above, the establishing shot. So we just left with James talking shit about his town, uh, Star City, Nevada. That's the big picture. That's Star City from above, the establishing shot, how it looks from the outside. Not that James would know. The furthest outside Star City he's ever been is Reno, like four times. If you're from Reno, Star City probably looks like some debris and nothing next to a mountain. But if you grew up here, it's probably because your parents moved here to work at the new Walmart when it opened because there were no fucking jobs anywhere in Nevada in the mid-90s. Or something. Unless you wanted to deal blackjack in Reno. But neither of James's parents wanted to work in a casino. Whatever. Who cares? James grew up here and it is stupid. Fuck Star City. The small picture. The tight shot. The close-up is that James is stoned as hell, reclined in the flimsy plastic tub with the black grout or whatever the fuck it is called, the moldy stuff that seals the tub to the floor and the wall. He is hotboxing the bathroom of his apartment halfway down the hill from the Walmart. Right now, he is too stoned to tell if the water is hot or cold. It is probably lukewarm, who knows. He sits up and looks at the mirror and can't see anything because there's so much smoke in here and also, because that shit is all fogged up from how hot the bathwater was some impossible to know amount of time ago. 
He's thinking about how much he hates Star City and why it produces such apathetic and useless fucks. Figure one, James. Figure two, Nicole. But mostly, he's just stoned and spacing out. He keeps coming back to how cheap this bathroom feels. This town sprung up out of nowhere and they built these shitty apartments out of bullshit, but it's weird how even though he feels numb about pretty much everything else in his life, he can't quite get accustomed to his shitty apartment. The material of the tub against his bony ass feels like you could get up and punch through it. I'm gonna stop there. That's all. That's all we're reading. That's the book. I love James. Me too. I, I've been, okay. Yeah. Okay. No, no, you, you, please. No, no, you, you. I want to. I don't. I'm bored of well, myself. I was going to say, I, I love the ending so much, you know. And I, and I just, I love an ending like that where, like, you don't capitulate to what I think all writers know is sort of expected of us, you know, or commercially preferred. So I, I loved how you ended. It was, it was very realistic. Um, but then I was also like, but what's gonna happen? That didn't mean that I don't want to know what happens to James. And I feel like you know what happens to James, or do you? Do you know what happens to James? You know, I thought I did. Um, I when I first wrote it, I was like, um, Marie just pushed James back in the closet, right? Like James is not going to confront his shit for much longer than he like he was getting there, and now he's like had this huge setback. Mm -hmm. And I talked to my friend Paige, who is one of a couple people that the character Piranha in the book is based on, and she was like, "There's no fucking way that that doesn't make a huge impact on James. Are you kidding?" Like. It's 2008, there is Facebook, there is like social media, like James is online and he is, you know, this made an impact on him. And so like, uh, you know, I thought he was going back into the closet for years, but it, you know, now I'm not so sure because she makes a compelling point, right? Like, even though this is a weird, like, you know, 24 hour experience they have together or whatever, it's like, I think she's right. I don't think it means he's going to come out as trans soon necessarily. I mean, you know, I've had readers be like, I'm so glad that James doesn't come out as trans, which I think is really interesting. Cause like, yeah, maybe James won't, you know what I mean? My sense was always that Maria fucked him up worse than he would have been if she hadn't shown up. But um, I like totally don't feel like I get to be the boss of that or like have to be the boss of that, I guess. Yeah. That's so great. That's very liberating to not have to. And yeah, I love the, I love the like, strong opinions of other people and how they persuade you. Like it's not, it's your creation, but then it's not like, it's very interesting. I, yeah. I it so much. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I, I also like, I often, when I'm like, that wasn't a fucking ending in a book, I get mad and I'm like, no, I wanted an ending, but I feel like from like the like MFA world, like lit, whatever, like this is how you craft a narrative thing. Like the book ends with one of our central characters making a very significant choice, right? Like he is making a decision there about what to do with like everything that happened up till that point in the novel. And so like, you know, it doesn't even feel to me like a lack of resolution. It feels like it's not the resolution we wanted. We wanted like, you know, some kind of redemption or like catharsis or something. And, and instead what we get is this person saying, that's not fucking happening. I am not ready for redemption or catharsis. You know what I mean? Which is so realistic. It's like who who runs headfirst into catharsis, especially a stoner who's been like pushing their feelings down so intensely, you know? Yeah. Also, okay, so I was thinking about this like stone the other day, but <laughs> in the bathtub. Uh, linearity is not the hallmark of intersectionality. And so I don't think we really privilege intersectional narrative for as much as we talk and like intersectionality has intense rabbit holes, fucking total moral conflicts, super deep unresolved. I just wanted to say that. 
<laughs> yeah, no, I'm with you. And I mean, it's interesting when you say that, because I agree completely. And I feel like I would say pretty much the exact same thing about trauma, right? Like we know healing from trauma, this is the world I live in. Like it is not linear. You don't like just kind of get better, right? Like it's like up and down and circling around. It's like, really? Um, and like, does it ultimately resolve or do you just get to a place where you like kind of make peace with it or on top of your shit? It's like, it's just more complicated than that linear thing, right? And it's it's fascinating to think about that as a parallel between intersectionality and trauma, right? I like want to go smoke weed and think about it. I just always say like with trauma, it's just like trauma is what I coexist with, period. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no other way to even like even thinking of like healing I'm just like it just seems like an abstract so it's just yeah I I deeply vibe when characters don't necessarily walk into the sunset contemplative or whatever yeah because it's you know each kind of segment of like whenever I see the hero's journey it's supposed to be like a segment of the life or it's like Sisyphus pushing the rock before it like kind of crumbles again. And so mm-hmm. whenever I see these characters, I think, oh, we're watching this hard segment right before they go into another hard segment. I've never ever thought of a book like resolving or something. It's just something that's deeply important for people, especially when you work in TV, which mm-hmm. I hate. Um, mm-hmm. so. <laughs> Legit. <laughs> yeah. At the end of the day though, it's like, like, like TV versus writing books. Would you mm-hmm. rather be like the most well-paid like TV writing exec, blah, 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 forever and ever, knowing the constraints of that, that world? Or would you rather just like be known as like an author who gets to sit and like write books and make slightly less money, but be like, you know, just as fucking love and have the prestige? Like, oh, the second you, one. If you had to choose, huh? Yeah, yeah, no question, the second one. Like, I actually- Dang. Yeah. Like, I actually, I love writing for TV. I didn't know what to expect. I was really just like, what am I going to say to this now? And actually, now that we're at one minute left, I don't know, I can go over a little bit if y'all want to go over a little bit. But um, when they had made the pilot for Transparent, that show that was on TV, um, they actually sent that to me to be like, hey, what do you think of this? Are you interested in like working on this show? And I watched it and I was like, unlike any of these characters, I don't want to write for the show. And so I said, no, like, if I had known how much TV pays in 2013, when I was like living in Annie Danger's closet, I like, Annie Danger! Yes, thank you. This is what I want people to fucking say when I say Annie Danger. Thank you, because people are like, who's that? Annie Danger tattoo. Yeah, shout out to Annie Danger. I mean, it's totally, how many Annie Danger tattoos do I have as well? Like Annie Danger tattoo. How many of you have a free Annie Danger wizard tattoo? I wish one day, I I still... but I love that she has had been doing. I don't know if she's still doing it, but if you get a wizard, it's free. It's wizards are free, yeah. Because there was like a wizard template that came with her like first gun. So I never heard that part of it. I just heard that it was a great way of giving people weird wizard tattoos. Well, also, <laughs> <laughs> but so like anyway, back to your question of TV. Like TV is so codified it's so structured there is no wiggle room for that shit and um i actually like feel like i've learned a lot about structuring fiction from there like from having to work within that context and like you know find out like where your freedom is and what you can do within that it's like it's been a fascinating process and i actually really do like that process of working in a writer's room but like yeah i'm from book world like i'm always going to be from book world like books are always going to be 
you know, my, my first love. And so, yeah, if the choice was get paid to be a, a book writer or get paid to be a TV writer, it would hella be writing books. Um, yeah, but like, I don't know, did you see Cruel Summer? I got to write on Cruel Summer. That was a weird fucking show and people really liked it. Um, I don't know. I like, I don't, I don't want to talk shit on TV writing or on TV, right? I will watch hella TV. I don't think any of your criticisms of television are wrong. Like it's very much everything you said, but like, I don't know. Like sometimes I just want to like, <laughs> since you brought up the topic of weed, like sometimes I just want to get high and watch the fucking kids in the hall, you know? <laughs> well, I'm I, I do have this thing sometimes where I'm just like, am I really that level of snobbish asshole where I'm going to be the way for me to like, have be a good writer is to like sit and like scribble my truth onto a scroll mm. in my own space forever and ever or can I be in a system where they're like no I need this many motherfucking words today and I'm just like well if I'm a writer shouldn't I be able to do both but I don't know sometimes it gets very well I mean none of that stuff exists in a vacuum right like it's about opportunity and it's about experience and it's about like access right it's all these these complex things like I was not about to make a big effort to become a TV writer, right? Like I snuck in the back door of TV because they reached out to me because, you know, on some level, I think they just like in 2016, which is, you know, not that long ago, but it was still, I think, very thoughtful of Joan and Tony to be like, we're doing this show with Laverne Cox and we're looking for a trans writer. And I mean, I don't know how many folks they reached out to, but the fact that they like got me in the room was really, I felt like I've never written in screenplay format before. Like, you know, the first stuff that I ever wrote in Final Draft or whatever was very much like for that show. And it was humbling. It was like, here's my like novelist paragraph of all the things that are happening. And they're like, yeah, we're cutting out all of these words. This person walks over to the other person. I'm like, oh shit. Okay. Like, this is not what I'm used to. Yeah. Um, but, you know, having access to that world was, it's an education and it's, it's cool. It's cool to learn to write in a like slightly different medium. You know what I mean? Um, but yeah, I feel like in terms of like structure and story and the way those two things fit together, there is just a lot more room in fiction to do something unexpected, maybe. Yeah. Hello. Hi. Well, and on that note, I have a question that I love to ask everyone um, that we can use as a last question for all three of you which is what is a medium or a format or platform that you haven't tried yet um, that you really want to, whether or not you think you'd actually be able to do it or figure it out, but one that you're dying to try. I want to be a parent. <laughs> oh, you should do it. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's exhausting. It's pretty cool, but it's a lot. <laughs> I'm, I'm, uh, I'm already exhausted. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> I do want to yeah. get interrupted on Zoom calls. Like, I mean, because one day they'll be in college and they'll never interrupt you again. So it's mm -hmm. like. Yeah, I mean. Bad. Like, yeah. No, I know. Man, I am a huge fan of my children. I, I support it. this, Montez. Yeah. Hmm. I don't know. What do I want to do that I haven't done? I feel like it's always just been like, I'm going to fucking do this thing and done it. Like, it doesn't mean I've done it well, but like. Totally. Same. I'm like, what, what can I do? I've, I've dabbled in so many things. I haven't necessarily yeah. shown it or, you know, I mean, yeah. I, haven't, I haven't written a play, but I've written screenplays mm. and I'm writing a musical, which is kind of a play. Right. I'm not writing the music. So I guess I am writing a play. Hmm. 
pottery, ceramics. I've never done ceramics. I choose archery. Ooh. I want to get a crossbow. Fun. Have you do you do archery? Do you know about it? I I used to work at a summer camp and I was an archery instructor. So nice. I did have Horrible. a It's probably like outdated now, but I would still know how to shoot a bow. Oh, look at Rontes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I was a fencer when I was a kid. I fought people with swords. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's so cool. That there's this so whole cool. world. Yeah, there's this whole world in New Jersey that's about like public schools having fencing teams. Um, and so, yeah, like snuck in the back door of that one too. I got to hit people with swords. That was cool. I feel like archery is, I guess archery is if you don't get to shoot a bow and arrow at someone. Hey, Jason, what was it like dating a fencer? <laughs> Fencing seems so fancy. It feels so like 1700s. Wait, but like all that, like the white shit mm. with like the padded thing. Yeah, and, and the mask yeah. is so cool. The little like. Mm -hmm. yeah. And we were, we were dirt bags. Like we were dirt bags from like a rural, like New Jersey school. But we had the, you know, we wore the like That's white cool. outfit and the mask, but. It, like it was a public school thing. We were totally like, um, <laughs> I don't know. Okay, why am I surprised that this many people have relationality to fencing? Am I? I, I, I did not expect either. In archery as well. Are y'all lying? I think this person <laughs> might have dated an alternate timeline me. <laughs> oh my lord. <laughs> well, you guys, thank we you. should do a podcast. Let's start a podcast. I just want to talk to you all for a long time. Oh I my know. god! Well, yeah, I I would say yes to that. What is it? Just like we just hang hang out and just like once a week and just talk. Yeah, and we should. It should be like ten minutes long, right? So that way, like you can listen to it. You don't have to sit down for two hours, and we just all have to like bring our A game and be hilarious. Yeah, and we each like lead a different one. Like we each take turns being the lead. Mm -hmm. oh, yeah, ten minute the podcast. Like in like 45 minutes, you've gone through the whole 10 episode series or whatever, like. Yeah, because yeah. they're all like two hours long and I'm like, I don't have a day to listen to a podcast. We, I don't know, I don't have any time for anything. I, I wanna do this, I say yes to it for sure. And also me and Brontes are doing a podcast. We've, we've recorded two episodes. It's called Slade and it's about queers who, who murder, queers who commit terrible crimes. What? Yeah. It's really fun. It's it's I mean it's it's terrible. It's like just terrible. Yeah, yeah. What I've learned is, it, is that lesbians um like to kill um the vulnerable children and the elderly and they like to do it in codependent pairs in relationships. <laughs> they have to do it together. And that Brontes, I'm figuring this out for our next episode. Um like gay men, they like to eat their victims. There's a lot I of can't believe you've learned so much in two episodes. Yeah. Just, I'm like totally like a binge. Yeah, I like I was supposed to write on this Michael Jackson biopic, but I turned it down just to be on this podcast. Shut up. I didn't know that. That didn't really happen. But. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Wait, so can we listen to your podcast or is it not up yet? It's not up yet. I want us to record a bunch and then, yeah. you know, have them ready to go. So I got to get on it. I got to do, yeah. we, we did like two, we have two and they're both gay ladies. So I promise Bronte has a really gnarly 
man <laughs> of a faggot cannibal yeah. that's what I'm, that's what i'm giving it's exactly what i'm giving you it's a really good one well all i can say about that podcast is i hope there are show notes because i want to see mm -hmm. the research i want to be able to do this is just gonna be a jumping off point for so many people yeah <laughs> Yeah, you have to do show notes because the pictures of everyone are seem to be pretty oh, excellent. Oh yeah, yes. Oh, well, man. but yes, ten minutes. <laughs> I don't actually have time to do anything. I've been trying to start a podcast called Moms Watch TV with my partner for like three years, and we can't find a half an hour to do a podcast. So oh, let's eventually all do a different podcast. But it'll be called the best ten minutes of your day, and it's just us for ten. minutes. That's really good. Cute. Let's do it. Great. It's the perfect title, the perfect trio. And we were so grateful to have you here talking about Imogen Benny's Nevada, which is out now again for everyone to purchase. If you haven't gotten your copy yet, you can grab one from Skylight Books by clicking the green button down at the bottom of your screen, where you can also get copies of 100 Boyfriends and Valencia and Against a Memoir and soon um, Knocked Up. Yes? Oh, um, knocking myself up. Knocking myself up. Yep. Um, Michelle's new book. We are so grateful for having you all here. And I know that you will love to re-listen to this and re-watch this conversation and send it to everyone you love and know. And so you can do that by clicking the link uh, that you use to get here in just a few minutes. It'll be available for replay. Thank you, everyone, so much for joining us. Have a great night. Bye. Thank Thanks. you. You all are so wonderful. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Skylight Books podcast series. Please don't forget to visit our website at skylightbooks.com and make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for more author talks and bookseller conversations. You can find us on Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Stay safe and healthy, and we hope to see you back in our store soon.